I can't wait to introduce you to Dr. Kelly Donahue. But before I do, I'd like to invite you to set this intention with me and Kelly. Small changes do make a big difference. In this episode, it's all about how to create healthy habits one small step at a time while also being kind to yourself. Let's go meet Dr. Kelly Donahue. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. In this episode, I get to speak with the author of Everyday Self-Care, Your Proven Holistic Guide to Feeling Better, and her book is available on Audible. If you want to read the book for free with a 30-day trial membership to Audible, just go to audibletrial.com slash handle everything and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash handle everything. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. I'm here with Kelly Donahue, and Kelly is a clinical health psychologist, mind-body coach, mom, entrepreneur, and recovering type A perfectionist. She has spent more than a decade immersed in mind-body health research, teaching, writing, and individual and group work with clients. Kelly is passionate about empowering clients to practice essential self-care strategies that reduce overwhelm and stress, which helps to heal depression and anxiety. Her training in behavioral medicine, clinical psychology, holistic nutrition, coaching, and mind-body medicine helps her clients create real, lasting change. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. I'm super excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you too. So I start off every episode by asking, how full is your plate? And I know I just listed a bunch of things that you're up to, <laughs> but can you give us a quick peek into your day-to-day -day life and all the responsibilities you're juggling at any given moment? Sure thing. I'm happy to. So I start my day and end my day with quiet and calm because not a lot of that happens during the day. So I usually try to start my day with meditation or some kind of movement that sort of sets the tone for a productive and happy day. During the course of a week, I see about 20 individual clients in person and via telehealth. And that's in two different locations in my hometown and then a little bit farther away. I'm also in the midst of my winter health gains online weight loss program. So I do this program live twice throughout the year, and this is one of those times. So I get to be online with people throughout the week and then have a group coaching call once a week too. I also have an ongoing membership course for that program and we meet twice a month. So I'm developing content that they'll get every week and a coaching call that we get when we meet twice a month. So developing content and sort of outlines for that type of thing. 
I also co-host a podcast called Everyday Wellness, and we try to do some batch recording so that it's one or two days during the week. But I often spend time researching potential guests and reading books and articles that our upcoming guests have written, which is really fun. That doesn't often feel like work, but it does take up some time. <laughs> I also teach meditation and resiliency classes twice per month to scientists here at our local NIH facility. And in addition to those more professional obligations, I am a wife and a mom to a super active, ever-questioning seven-year-old boy. That is such a fun age. <laughs> it really is. So how do you handle everything that's on your plate? I have a lot of systems in place. And my paper calendar is my BFF. I tried going digital, having just a digital calendar and had no luck with that. So what I do is I create a list of to-dos at the beginning of each week. And I put the ones that are really important on my calendar. And I give them specific times during the week when they're going to get done. And it's so interesting because in the act of doing this, I've realized that some of the to-dos on my list really aren't that important. And so then they just don't make it onto my calendar and they might not happen and that's okay. So it's really an act of prioritizing what's important. And I do that in alignment with my values. I think one of the biggest things that's helped me is really getting clear on what my values are. Because I think society tells us that our values should be family and health first. And I'm not saying that mine aren't necessarily, but there are a lot of other things that we can value too. And if we are just doing the things that society tells us to value without spending time on the things we value, we're going to feel stressed and overwhelmed and irritable and resentful pretty quickly. So that's been a really good thing. In addition, I have systems for daily life things. I get fresh fruits and vegetables delivered once a week, and that saves so much time. And I schedule my clients in chunks of time so that I'm not doing a lot of back and forth. I'm seeing many clients in a condensed window. And then this is something I'm still working on, but when it works, it really helps. And that is asking for help when I need it, when I'm feeling stuck or if I'm in a bit of overwhelm or if I'm obsessing on one thing and not getting anywhere. And the truth is sometimes I don't handle everything. Sometimes the ball or many balls get dropped. But I think the difference for me is that instead of beating myself up for that and being super hard and critical... I now see it as a sign that I'm trying to do too much and that it's a time for me to take a breath, step back and ask for help. All of those are great tips. And I want to go back to the calendar one real quick for our listeners and for me to clarify how many priorities do you generally put onto your calendar each week? Do you have a set number just to keep it realistic in our minds? Because I know for me, I can think I have more time in the week to do like 10 things. And usually I can only prioritize about three of them. Yes. Oh, you're so right. So I generally have three or four things, usually one big thing each day. And I've also started building in time for downtime. There's more and more research and, you know, it's just kind of crazy to me that we need research to tell us that we need downtime, but nevertheless, <laughs> the research is happening and it's showing us that we really do need some downtime. So even if it's just 30 minutes for lunch where I actually like 
go eat my lunch, not in front of my computer. Those things are priorities too, and they have to go on the calendar. Definitely agree with eating lunch away from the computer. And you were starting to say that sometimes you don't handle everything. So how do you know (laughs) when you're stressed or overwhelmed? What's the first sign for you? The first sign for me is usually feeling irritable and anxious. I'll notice myself being short, usually with the people I love the most. So with my husband or with my son. And sometimes I'll also have an impulse to want to distract myself. So to pull myself away from whatever it is that I'm feeling stressed about. And that can be with using food or Netflix or social media or the internet where I can always dive down a rabbit hole. But I've been able to slow down the process a little bit so that when I'm feeling that anxiety or the irritability, Instead of just jumping into one of those behaviors, I'm able to say, okay, what is going on here? And look at the thought that's driving it. The thought might be something like, I need to get all of these things done before the end of the day. And when I question that, the reality is I probably don't need to get all of those things done. Maybe I just need to focus on one of them. I've also found that when I spend time spinning in my head, thinking about all that I have to do, I usually overestimate the amount of time it'll take. So for example, even this morning, I was trying to get my son's lunch packed. I wanted to unload the dishwasher. And I had the thought that I'm never going to get this done before I need to start my day. But then I asked myself, okay, how long does it really take to unload the dishwasher? And I thought about, well, maybe three minutes. (laughs) And just doing that sort of helps to put things in perspective. That's a great point. I do the same thing. And it's (laughs) funny how when we're on a deadline, when we have to unload the dishwasher and do all these things before the school bus comes, we get it done in a lot shorter period of time. But if it was just, I need to unload the dishwasher at some point today, then it seems to take a lot longer. Totally. Exactly. Tasks tend to spread out to the amount of time we have. It's kind of like spaghetti growing on your plate. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So is there a time in your life when you were under a lot of pressure and you were able to turn that into an opportunity? Mm, That's a good one. I would say that the most recent time was when I was just started working with a new colleague. And she had asked me to come on because she was dealing with a lot of clients who wanted help with weight management from a mind, body, and cognitive behavioral perspective. And we were both trained in the same types of strategies. So we both knew how to do that. She was already overwhelmed and had a huge wait list. And so she brought me on to try to make that into an opportunity. So I started doing that too. And quickly, my one day of work with her filled my calendar. And we still had people who were looking for those services. And we both then felt pressure to figure out how are we going to see more people in the day, knowing that if we just continued to add people, our ability to show up and really be present and do good work would decrease. So it took us a minute, but we realized that we could make that into an opportunity. We could figure out a way 
to share all of our information and teach people how to implement that information in a different way. And that included developing this online course at six weeks, our health gains weight loss program, so that several people, dozens of people could go through the program at the same time and still get that individualized help once a week on the coaching call. So we had to turn that potentially stressful, overwhelming moment into something that was more manageable. And then once we got in there, we realized, oh, there's a lot of pressure to figure out this technology and understand how to make it work. And I think the lesson there was really holding on to our why. Why were we doing this? The why is what helped us through when we were so frustrated in those moments when we couldn't figure out how to upload the video for the 15th time or whatever it was. <laughs> and our why was really wanting to be able to help more people. So in the end, here we are a year and a half later, and we've really been able to do that. That's fantastic. And I can totally relate as a helper personality, <laughs> wanting to have that one-on-one -on -one time with people and give them that individual attention and having it feel scary to go to a group and worry that people won't get the same results if they aren't having that individual time. I've experienced it and I hear from a lot of my clients that they're afraid of making that leap from the individual work to the group work because they think it will be less meaningful. But have you found that it's more meaningful? I have found that it's just as meaningful and in a different way. There's a different energy when you're able to work in a group. And it's so rewarding and fascinating to see people benefit from what someone else has said. Not only the person who's listening to someone else's story or tips that they've used, but to also see the benefit for the person sharing their story. That person gets to see how it impacts other people. And in many cases, people become vulnerable in groups and it teaches them that it's okay to talk about some of these things in a safe way. And then they're able to figure out how to do that more in their daily life. So it can be really powerful. I'm really enjoying both. I love that. And I totally agree that the unintended consequence or benefit of being in a group and being vulnerable is that you get to build community with like-minded people and really find a place where you feel like you belong. Absolutely. And technology has limited our ability to do that in some ways. And that connecting via Facebook or just looking at other people's Instagram feeds gives us perhaps a false sense of connection. But on the other hand, using technology to bring a lot of people together so that we see 20 different faces on the screen is really a form of true connection. And you can see that people feel differently and they're changed after spending time with that many people week after week. That's amazing. So when you're feeling stressed out with all the technology stuff that was... <laughs> malfunctioning. What was the biggest stress reliever for you? And it could be something in your personal or professional life, but how do you relieve stress when it's starting to creep up on you? I actually remember the day when I was ready to pull my hair out. It was two summers ago and it was during a particularly hot streak. I needed to get away from my computer because I was afraid that I was going to throw it at the wall or something. So I love being outside and I just put my sneakers on and went for a walk and I didn't even take my phone with me. 
And within like 15 minutes of being outside, I live in a small city, but there's still lots of trees and parks. And I was able to be in nature for a little bit. I felt so much better. I also felt extremely hot by the time I got back to my house. So I took a shower and then wrote this whole blog post about how nature, activity, and water were like the perfect combination for reducing stress. So that's what works for me. I take some of those pieces. I'm not able to do all of them all of the time, but getting regular activity and making sure that I get outside, even on not so great days, can be really helpful. That's awesome. And I know having your PhD and being a researcher, you probably know this, but for our listeners, and maybe you haven't heard of this, there's the three-day nature fix that has been published and researched that shows that there's a lot of health benefits to spending time in nature for a three-day stretch. And I love that you mentioned that you didn't even bring your phone. I think it's so funny that these days we have to say that, like I'm <laughs> turning my phone off. I didn't even bring my phone, but that's really a thing. It is a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. Well, I know you wrote a book about self-care too, and the common misconceptions about self-care, especially for parents, you know, getting a shower once a day is not self-care. <laughs> <laughs> even when you feel like you have no time for yourself and you feel lucky if you even get a shower, but could you tell us what self-care actually is? Sure. I'd be happy to. When I was doing research for the book, I looked up the definition of self-care and it was described as the practice of taking action to preserve or improve one's own health, especially during times of stress. And I totally got that. I was like, okay, I can be on board with that. But there were pieces of it that I thought could be improved. For example, we often think of self-care as getting a massage or as taking a break in some way. But we also have this picture that we get every time we get on a plane, which is put your oxygen mask on first before you put the oxygen mask on of a child with you. And that's often used to help us understand the need for self-care. My problem with that and with this definition, which was especially during times of stress, is that we need to practice these self-care techniques a lot when we're not stressed. Because when we get stressed, and this is from an evolutionary perspective designed to protect us, our natural physiology just takes over and our focus narrows. And we can't remember a lot of these self-care strategies in these times of stress because we're worried about escaping the lion. Even though today's lion might be a traffic jam or a work deadline, our body doesn't know the difference. So it goes into the sympathetic stress response and we can't think of these important things that we know intellectually that we can do to help us in that moment. So for me, self-care really starts with self-talk and that means doing it on a regular basis throughout the day, especially when we aren't stressed. I think that any behavior we do, especially for the moms out there, is potentially completely laden with mom guilt if we don't change our mindset about our self-talk and what that behavior means. So for me, self-care is really starting with mindset and thinking about what thoughts we're having. How can we change those and how do those influence our ability to do the behaviors we need to do to really take care of ourselves? That's a great point. And I think with more and more working parents, where both parents work, there's even more dad guilt 
too, some of my clients have expressed that as well, just feeling like I have to work 40, 50 hours a week and, you know, coach lacrosse games and make it to the dance recitals and still be home for dinner every night and have a clean house and make my partner happy and all of these responsibilities. It seems like how can you even find time to worry about yourself or to even notice that you're feeling guilty about it? It's a great point. And I think it's interesting because I work with mainly women. And I think one of the reasons men might not be as big a part of my coaching and therapy practice is because I don't think they have the time, right? They are spending a lot of time doing a lot of those things and definitely experience the same guilt. But to your question about how do you even start, I think it's about inserting little things throughout your day. I think it has to be small. Otherwise, we're just not going to take a big chunk of time to really care for ourselves. And I think it's a misconception that self-care takes a lot of time. I think the potential for having an additive effect is really huge. So it doesn't mean you have to take a two-week vacation, although I totally am an advocate for that. <laughs> we want to think about little things that we can do that we can integrate into our lives that can help to reduce our nervous system activity because it's about the physiology too. It's about what we think, but what we think influences how our body reacts. So it can be something as easy as taking a few deep breaths. Now, the trick with this is that if we haven't been taking deep breaths throughout our day, we may not remember to do so. So what I like to tell people and what I do for myself too, is I pair the deep breathing with something that I am already doing. It's called habit stacking. So we pair what we want to be as a new habit with an existing habit. So I do have a pretty good habit of filling up my water bottle a few times a day. And inevitably I become annoyed because it takes a long time for the filtered water to go into my cup. It really doesn't, but sometimes if I'm stressed, then that's my view. So what I've learned to do is to take five deep breaths or as many deep breaths as it takes to fill my water bottle when I'm doing that. And that guarantees me that I'm going to have these pauses throughout the day when I'm taking these deep breaths that can help to activate my parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest system. And we want to do that. We want to give ourselves opportunities to do that throughout the day so that it can bring our overall stress level down. And so when we are in those more stressful moments, we will have the neuronal connections and we'll have the data and the memory of going back and doing those things. So it's really just like practicing any other skill. We need to practice it when we're not at the free throw line at the buzzer of the big game. We need to practice it throughout all of our practices throughout every day in life. So deep breathing is a simple example. I think also thinking about self-care from a prevention standpoint. So it's not just about what we're doing in the moment when we're stressed, but how we're really laying the foundation for better self-care. And that really makes me think about our body and getting a lot of nutrients in our body. So eating whole foods and getting sleep. I could go on and on and on about how important sleep is, but doing a lot of those very simple things can really make a difference. I love what you said about habit stacking, because I know the research shows multitasking is not very productive. And as a multitasker, 
overachiever type A person or recovering type A person. (laughs) Instead of saying I'm multitasking, I'm going to say I'm habit stacking. (laughs) I love that you can combine those two things and make it a positive, even though you're still multitasking. For those multitaskers out there, make sure that you are stacking positive habits on top of each other rather than things that make you more overwhelmed. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And so for people listening to the show who might be experiencing overwhelm right now, you've talked a lot about thoughts. And I think when you're really busy and you have a lot going on, a lot of your thoughts are focused on what you're going to do next, or you're listening to someone and you're thinking about what you're going to say next. How can we get into the habit of noticing our thoughts more? As it relates to self-talk, what practice can we put into place to even just notice when we're doing it? Yeah, that's a great question because in order to change that, we need to have the awareness that it's happening. And one of the great ways to gain that awareness is to start by slowing the whole process down. So slowing the process of going from thought to emotion to behavior down. And we can do that by reducing the activation of that sympathetic nervous system on a regular basis. We can do that by sleeping well. We can do that by being mindful. And being mindful means just paying attention on purpose. And the more that you practice doing this in other areas of your life, the easier it will be to do with your thoughts. So maybe you're practicing mindfulness when you're chopping peppers for dinner. You're really just paying attention to what you're doing. It goes back to what you were saying about multitasking. Paying attention becomes the doorway to undoing some of that unhealthy multitasking. So when we can pay attention to what the water feels like on our hands when we're washing our hands throughout the day or ground ourselves, which means just focusing on something that's going on in your body and how it's connected to the earth, maybe how your feet feel on the floor or how your bottom feels in the chair if you're sitting and listening to someone. Using those techniques can help you to stay more in the present moment and to be able to listen to that person. Because really what they're going to remember is that you listen. They might not even remember what you responded with, but they will remember how you showed up in that moment. That's so true. And I'm trying to think back to when I started paying closer attention to my thoughts and what changed for me. And I think it started with noticing my reaction to certain things. Like when I first started a business, I started to feel resistance around something and then I would question it and I would think, why am I feeling this resistance? Is it because I'm afraid of doing it or is it because I really don't want to do it? And then I was able to find the thoughts that were holding me back, but it wasn't something where I was paying attention to my thoughts and I thought, I'm afraid of doing this or I don't want to do this. I think it creeps up as excuses or like, I can't do that because I don't have enough time. And then I think, well, what is that excuse telling me about how I feel about the thing I'm doing? It's either not a priority or I'm afraid of failing or something else is going on. And what does that mean to me? That's such a great point. It's clear that you have done some work in that area because that's great. And I think the point that you bring up about 
really paying attention to how you're feeling is important because if we're in a situation and we haven't practiced thinking about what we're thinking or noticing what we're thinking, we're not going to, but we will notice, we'll be more likely to notice when we feel anxious or irritable or resistance because that's what emotions are there for in part. They're a way of communicating. And when you can approach it as you did with an attitude of curiosity to understand what that thought was behind it, then you remove a lot of the negativity from it and you can really learn from the experience rather than using it as just one more way to be critical with yourself. Right. So if anybody's thinking, I don't know what my thoughts are, you can always reverse engineer it back from your emotions and follow that string. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. And to remember that it is a skill and just like any other skill that we might learn cooking or a new language or a new sport, it takes practice, consistency and time. Absolutely. So at the end of your book, when people are done reading it, what are you hoping they walk away with? I'm hoping they walk away with an understanding of really how important our self-talk is. The research says we have between 60 and 90,000 thoughts a day, and most of those thoughts are negative. So if we can increase our awareness of just a few of those thoughts and intentionally change them to something more realistic, we're really going to shift the trajectory of how we feel about ourselves and where we end up in our lives. And I also would hope that people would take away the idea that they don't have to do all of these things at one time in order to take better care of themselves. They can really start small because these small changes that we can make to our daily routines really will have a big impact. So true. One small change each day. Yes. Uh Baby steps. Baby steps. (laughs) (laughs) And as a psychologist, we talked a lot about habit change and health and wellness. And I think it's a unique perspective on psychology. So how do your clients know when they've made it or when they graduate from working with you? Because I think (laughs) there's this idea that if I go to therapy, then there's something wrong with me that can't be changed. And I'm going to be in therapy every week for the rest of my (laughs) life. And that's really intimidating. The rest of your life is a long time. I mean, I felt that way graduating from college. Like, how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? So (laughs) I want people to understand what it looks like to work with a psychologist like you and how that feels when you've successfully changed the habit. That's a great question. I like to think about it and to tell my clients that my job is really to work myself out of a job. So I want to increase my clients' toolboxes for all of these skills that they can use on their own. And because of that, I give them assignments and homework and things that they can do to take the insight that we've gained from working together and the education and implement it in their life. Because we can have all of the knowledge, but if we don't know how to change that insight into action, it's not going to actually make an appreciable change in our life. So oftentimes I'll know that I'm getting to the end of the work with my clients when they start coming up with the answers to their own questions. For example, well, I wonder why I felt so bad when this person said this. Oh, maybe it was because I'm still holding on to the belief, blah, blah, blah. So they'll be able to look back and understand why something is happening. 
And then they'll start to come in and say, you're never going to guess what happened. But I was talking to my sister and she usually triggers me. And this time when she said whatever, I was able to reframe it, set a boundary, and then get off the phone and do something good for me. So they really start taking what we've been talking about and implementing it in their lives. Now, my previous statement about working myself out of a job has a caveat. Because I like to think about myself as, I used to say dentist, but oftentimes we have negative associations with dentists, even though I love my dentist. So so I've switched it to a car mechanic. We go to the car mechanic when something is wrong with our car and we can't figure out how to fix it. And sometimes it takes several times, several days, and some investment for the mechanic to figure that out. And then once things are feeling much better with the car, once the car is running really well, goes off on its merry way. But every once in a while, it's probably going to need a tune-up or an oil change or the brakes need to be checked. So that's when my clients come back, when there's a new transition in life, when they have a new challenge that they're facing, they'll come back in and we'll work on remembering some of the strategies and also adding to their toolbox if necessary. That is such a beautiful way of describing it. And I love it because I remember, and I was actually thinking about this while you were talking, after my divorce, I went and saw a therapist for about a year. I think I saw her twice a week for a while and then went to once a week for an hour and a half. And what I learned in that year was really, I went to her asking, what is this divorce trying to teach me? And how can I grow through this? And she was able to help me see what the point of that experience was and how it could be a meaningful part of my life. That's awesome. That is so great. And I think that, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think that one of the great things about utilizing therapy in that way is that you come away with lessons and knowledge that you have used since then in other circumstances. Am I right? Absolutely. It was like a jumping off point for me into my own growth and personal development. And it really laid a solid foundation for everything I've done since personally and professionally. And I use the term graduate because that's what she told me because (laughs) I walked in and I remember telling her, I don't want to be your client forever. Like I want to get better. (laughs) And she told me a story about how her clients graduate from working with her. So I remember when I started to feel better, I asked her, can we schedule my graduation? (laughs) (laughs) And she said, yes. And I brought a bottle of sparkling water and we poured it in teacups and we cheers and celebrated. Oh, that's awesome. What a great story. Yeah, it was super fun. So on that note, I want to transition into just a few fun questions that I always end with. And I want you to tell me what the first thing is that pops into your head. (sighs) Okay. All right. What does it mean to feel successful to you? Success means having the time and freedom to do the things I love with the people who fill me up. What is something you've accomplished that you're most proud of? (laughs) Raising a kind, caring child while not completely losing myself in the mom role. What are you most looking forward to this year? Growing my business and traveling. 
what's going to keep you up at night after this interview? Oh, I'm sure I'll think of 15 other things that I wish I had thought about saying. (laughs) (laughs) And the last one is, what's a mantra or something that you repeat over and over to your clients when you're in session that is encouraging and optimistic? I think it would probably be one that I've already said here a few times, which is that small changes do make a big difference. And if I can just add one more in, would be to be kind to myself. And what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? The best way is to go to my website, kellydonahuephd.com. And there they can sign up for my newsletter and learn how to connect with me on social media and learn all the good things and the exciting business developments and opportunities for more involvement in the future. That's amazing. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today, Kelly. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Tara. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you want to let me know what you'd like to hear more about on the show, DM me on Instagram at Tara Ray Bradford. And if you want to check out the links and everything from this show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Thank you all so much for listening in. I really appreciate you. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts to help more high achievers like you find this show. And I have to tell you about Kelly's Stress Relief Kit, available in her Healthy Change School. You know the feeling, tense shoulders, clenched jaw, racing thoughts, exhaustion, agitation, worrying all the time. These are symptoms of stress and anxiety. Those symptoms are more prevalent now than ever. The Stress Relief Kit can help relieve those symptoms. The kit contains both quick start strategies to reduce stress in just a few minutes and strategies to change your thinking, how you process emotions and behaviors so that you can prevent future stress and anxiety. This course is built on decades of experience in health psychology and mind-body medicine with hundreds of clients. These no-jargon, practical, and affordable tools work. Check out the Stress Relief Kit and all the courses the Healthy Change School offers at healthychangeschool.com. Thank you again to Dr. Kelly Donahue for being on the show, and thank you to everyone listening in. You're amazing, and I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all of the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. By the way, if you haven't listened to episode nine yet, it's an episode from Dr. Jolene Caro about how to care about others while caring for yourself. I think you'd really like it. Plus, it's one of my most downloaded episodes right now. You can check it out at handleeverything.com. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com.